We're living in, as you know, unprecedented times. That may be probably the most overused yet understated phrase of the year. Political upheaval, fires, scandal, information, disinformation, earthquakes, coronavirus, masks, racial unrest, shootings, lootings, riots, quarantine. Did I mention COVID? No constant positive reinforcement and little to no good news. We have lived, I'm going to preach this morning, but as I'm preaching, I'm going to give a prophetic declaration. And so you need to just open up your spirit because I'm going to open up mine and pray that the Lord allows just pure revelation to flow. So if you're here for revelation, if you're here uh, to be catapulted, as it were, into a new dimension, God does not catapult you into another level because a level just means you go up, but a new dimension means you go deeper and further and up and out, and that's the way that the kingdom expands. And by the way, you are the kingdom, Peter. It's good to see you this morning. Did you have something you needed to say? I thought you might. You need to come say it real quick. You want to, did you? It, it, come on up. Come on up and give it. It's, did you have something you wanted to share that you needed to say? I thought I felt something earlier. And Peter Diaz is a good friend of mine. He's a prophet, and he, uh, he's here this morning. He drove a long ways to be here. We have lived through nine months. Unlike any times that the world has ever seen. And yet when I think of nine months, I think of pregnancy. I cannot help but believe what God meant what he said when he inspired Paul to write in Romans chapter 8 verses, as you know, 28. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Now we know that all things and if we were to take that all things word, words and spread them apart and fill in the blank, all things because all means all. If you look up all in the Greek, it literally means all. All in the Aramaic means all. All in Hebrew means all. So if you take all things, if you spread those two words apart and fill in the blank, it still means all. So all good things are working together for my good. All bad things are working together for my good. All blessing things, blessed things are working together for my good. Even destructive seemingly things are working together for my good. God will take the waste of your life and cause it to be fertilizer for your next season if you'll just change your perspective and see what he's trying to do we are in month number nine and I can't help but believe that the earth that has been groaning and travailing and waiting is about to give birth and the reason my God that it's going to give birth is because sons and daughters have been expecting anticipating the day oh man anticipating the day that glory bearers, that light bearers, that are bearers after the image of their father would walk the earth in the same way that the original light bearer, Jesus Christ, walked the earth and say, where I go, I bring resurrection. And where I go, I bring healing. And where I go, I... in fact, he would say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for this reason, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He's anointed me to open blind eyes. My God Almighty. The whole purpose for him anointing me is so that I can do work in creation. Your anointing was not for you. Your anointing is for them. And so when the Spirit of God, he's in you for you, he's on you for them. And when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you can be sure that captives are going to be set free. That blind, it, it, is, a, it is almost a byproduct that captives are set free. That blind people see. 
Not just blind with natural eyes. There's a whole lot of blind church people that don't have any idea that they are the answer to the cries of their generation. Or as the Passion Translation puts it, so we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives for we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. Somebody say amen. Call me a hope dealer. I want a shirt. I want somebody to make me, I want a shirt. And I want it to say, uh, I want to say I'm a hope dealer. Just call me a hope dealer. Call me crazy, but I see light. Not just at the end of a tunnel, but light bursting forth from within the tunnel as we refuse to have tunnel vision and instead allow our lives and world to be illuminated with the eternal revelation that God is good and so he's working all things for my good. I need to say it again because he gave it to me prophetically. You better hear it. Call me a hope dealer. Call me crazy. But I see light, not at the end of the tunnel, but I see light bursting forth from within the tunnel as we refuse to have tunnel vision and instead allow our lives and world to be illuminated with the eternal revelation that God is good and he's working all things for our good. It may not look good right now, but it doesn't change the reality that God is good. There is no equivalency to circumstance being good and God being good. Which is to say, circumstance can be utterly and completely devastating, but it doesn't change his goodness. Circumstance can seem dire and devastating, but even in that, God is good. What needs to happen... Listen, what the earth hopes for, listen, what all of creation is groaning and travailing and waiting for is this. Sons and daughters of God are literally those who are his image bearers to be revealed. It sounds like Bible language because it is. Maybe a better way to hear it is this. The universe is waiting for those who carry his DNA to begin to shine with his light, which is his glory, his presence, until every single dark place is lit with the selfsame glory. But that will never happen until sons of daughters engage the world instead of cursing the world. It won't happen as long as we're looking for an any moment escape instead of understanding that we were here on assignment as ambassadors of a new kingdom. Lord, just get me out of here. If you could hear the Lord, I feel like, if, I feel like when, John, when the Bible says that John said, and I saw heaven open, you've heard Bill Johnson say this, it's a violent tearing, I saw heavens open. He said, if God opened the heavens, who has the authority to sow back those open heavens? Which is to say, there's an open heaven over you this morning, and if God were to whisper or probably yell, he would say, I don't want you to go anywhere. I've got you there for a reason. I'm not sucking you out of there. You're there for a reason. Do what I called you to do. Be who I called you to be. You're glory bearers. You're like, in fact, what I would like for you to do is do what I did and redeem everything around you. Well, that doesn't sound like the God, that doesn't sound like what I've heard. Stick around, it gets better. Or worse, depending on your perspective. Shine with his light, which is his glory, his presence, until all the dark places are lit with the self-same glory, but that will not happen. Until sons and daughters engage the world instead of cursing the world. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. 
He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. However, in Matthew 14, just after Jesus uh, orated and gave verbally the constitution of the new covenant. Do you know what this was? The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mountain. Anybody ever heard of this? Isn't it amazing? Moses goes up on the mountain and says, uh, it says, don't do this and don't do that and don't do that and don't do this. Jesus comes up on the mountain in the New Testament. He's going to initiate and sign the, 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 the declaration, this new constitution of the new covenant and say, and say this. Uh, do good. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Does anybody ever read the constitution of the, of the new covenant? That's the, actual, that's the constitution that actually matters. Because that's the everlasting constitution. I love you. I'm for the constitution of the United States, but before it got here and after it's gone, there will be the constitution of the new kingdom. My God. If the world, if he says this in Matthew 14, just after he orates the constitution, the Beatitudes, he says, Now are you the light of the world? Isn't it amazing? He says to his disciples, I am the light of the world. He's teaching them. And then he walks through with them. He's teaching me. He says, but hey, boys, now, guess what? Guess what? Now that your candle's been lit, now that, now that Holy Spirit is inside of you, this would, you know, Jesus actually breathed on his disciples after his resurrection. They received the Holy Spirit, not the baptism, but the candle was lit. That baptism came later. Now are you the light of the world. If the world is dark and times are dark, it's because glory bearers have their candles buried under a bushel. Even if they do, because he's just so good, they're in line for a burning bush experience. Oh, man, this gets better. It's time to let your light shine. I will not join the doom and gloomers in declaring curses on this generation. I will be like Jesus, lift up my voice and declare, let there be light in the dark void of society. Let there be light until every nation hears. Let there be light. Let the government shut down. Let there be light. Oh, my God. Let the naysayers be quieted. Let the demons be quieted. Let everybody sit in silence as the sons and daughters of God declare in the dark void just like the Spirit of God that hovered over the original darkness. And the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God began to move. Here's the pattern. The Spirit of God began to move, and then he spoke. His Spirit's already been moving this morning. If you ever learn the pattern of God, he always works in way of cycles and patterns. When the Spirit moves, is the time for you to make some declaration. Because when he moves and you make declaration, the light of revelation that is on the inside of you will project out of your mouth and go, and it will form the world around you. You ain't hearing this around the corner. For any of the above to take place, we must first have a change in perspective. We must accept that to move on into the glorious day awaiting, we must let go of what has held us back. I'm not going to knock it over. Rich is a good builder. I have faith in the plans. I have faith in the plans. That ought to work. For any of the above to take place, which is to set creation free, to let your light shine until the whole world is illuminated with the gospel that God is good. I mean, gospel means God's story. A secondary translation is the good news. So if you're hearing something that ain't the good news, you can guarantee it is not the gospel. Elizabeth's taking a picture because the bicep popped up. Look. <laughs> no, I just kidding. That was horrible. So bad. We must accept that to move on into the glorious day awaiting, we must let go of what's held us back. To reach forward 
we must forget what is behind. Before we move on from anything, I believe that it's imperative that we reflect on what we have experienced. Reflect on the blessings and give thanks. Reflect on the mistakes we've made or the failures that life has presented to us. And do us all a favor and give them all the proper burial. You cannot go back and undo anything, but you can chart a new course today, right now. And it's the perfect time to refocus on what it is that you want to do. This is not a new concept. In fact, the writer of more than half the New Testament gives us some insight on forgetting and reaching. That's what I want to talk to you about just for a few more minutes today. Forgetting and reaching. Philippians 3, but whatsoever things were gained to me, this is Paul, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. <laughs> when I said that, it kind of it hit a sore place in some of you because some of you are sitting here this morning. Like, man, I know what that's like. I've lost all things. Everything that I thought was supposed to be the way life was going to be. And, and everything that I fought for and everything that I believed for and everything that I prayed for and everything that I hoped for. And the manifestation of what I believe God gave me, I've lost it. Paul says, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rub it. So that I might gain Christ. And may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection, qualification, and the fellowship of his suffering, which, it, which that word sufferings means his passion. It means I want to share with him in his passion. Being conformed to his death, in order that I might attain to the resurrection of life. Now Paul says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of Christ. One translation says, I, I, I want to apprehend the thing for which God apprehended me. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do. Now this is going to get real confusing. But I want to read it again because I want you to hear. One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind. And reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press. This one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind. And reaching. To what he has in store for me. I press. This one thing I do, which is the concept is, I can't reach for what God has for me in my next if I'm not willing to let go of what is in my past. If I can't forget what is behind me, failures and successes, I will never be able to turn my focus and grab a hold of what God is so desperate for me to grab a hold of. This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, which is to mean mature, 
have this attitude. And if anything in you, if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal it to you also. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. It's interesting to me that Paul says, this one thing I do. It's almost like this apostle who the Bible says all revelation has been revealed to is confused because he doesn't name one thing. He technically names three. Forgetting that which lies ahead and looking unto that which is just ahead, I press. And yet he says it's one thing. I want to read these words to you. Here's the word forgetting. It's the Greek word epilethanami. It literally means to lose out of mind, to neglect, to hide from mind, or to put to rest. It literally means to bury. The truth is you cannot reach forward if you refuse to let go of what is behind. Just stay with me for a minute. It's in letting go of failures and successes that you increase your capacity for reaching ahead. You cannot hold on to yesterday. You cannot hold on to yesterday and grab tomorrow. Because if you hold yesterday and what was with one hand, and you hold tomorrow and what God has for you in the future in another hand, then you are crucifying yourself to helplessness and hopelessness and nothingness. I want so much to go forward. I want to I press for what God has for me. But I can't let go of what was. I've got to choose one. I've either got to forget this. And forgetting this, forgetting this means a very painful thing. Because if I forget it, I've got to forget the promises and the failures and the mistakes and everything else that God has ever told me. Not because he's a liar, but I've got to put it out of mind. I've got to put out of mind the time that I messed up. And I've got to put out of mind the time that, you know, I did it a certain way 15 years ago. I've got to put that out of mind. I've got to give it a proper burial. Because if I hold to this and this, I go nowhere and I'm crucified to nothing. You cannot go back in time. There is no flux capacitor or mad scientist awaiting. Listen, don't miss this. The only part of you that can live in the past is your mind. There's only one part of you that can live. Your body can't live there. Your spirit doesn't live there. Your spirit's eternal. Past, present, future. The only part of your, of your being that can dwell in the past, which I would like to call a tomb, is your mind. And if you keep calling up things from the past, that is spiritual necromancy and witchcraft is forbidden. Don't let yesterday's memories become today's reality. This one thing I do, single-mindedness. Interestingly, the Syriac renders this verse this way. This one thing I know. Whoa. Paul says this one thing I do, but if you read the Syriac rendering... An original version of this says, not just this one thing I do, this one thing I know. What a difference. I don't think that takes away from the other translation, but it amplifies the how. Don't miss this. It amplifies the how. What I mean is you will always do what you know. 
The word know doesn't just mean to have knowledge of, but to focus or give my mind to. In other words, this one thing I will give my mind to. I forget or release from my mind all that was, and I reset my focus on what I'm going towards. This is, this is a perfect picture of repentance. Repentance is not this. Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. I really screwed up. That's not, that's not repentance. That's an apology. I'm not telling you that's necessarily a bad thing. But when the Bible says that you're commanded to repent, repent does not mean to say you're sorry. Repent literally means to do this. To turn away from. The etymology of the word, if you want to divide the word up, re Think of a penthouse, the top place, the highest place. To repent is to go back to the high place, to go back to God's original intent for your mind. That's what repent means. This one thing I do, this one thing I know. You will always do what you know. The word know doesn't just mean to have knowledge, but to focus or give my mind to. In other words, one thing I will give my mind to. I forget or release from my mind all that was. I reset my focus on what will be. I'm not a new ager, but there are some truths that have been discovered, and you will attract what you focus your mind upon. You are a supernatural magnet and much more powerful than you probably realize. It is in becoming completely focused on reaching forth into the impossible, reaching forth into what hasn't yet manifested, reaching forth into the promise that he made but you haven't seen yet, reaching forth into the ethereal and pulling that reality into your now. It's saying, wait a minute, I've got a glimpse of heaven. Not heaven, the floating mansions across the sky, but the spirit reality where Jesus is Lord. i got a glimpse of that, which means I've got a glimpse of God being Lord of my life. And i got a glimpse of God being Lord of my finance. And i got a glimpse of the God being Lord of my marriage. And I, my God, I've got a glimpse of him being Lord over my health. I focus, I, I, I put my mind on that. You're a supernatural magnet. It's in becoming completely focused on reaching for the impossible, reaching into what hasn't happened, reaching into the ethereal, the heavenly realm, and pulling that reality into your now, I press. Forgetting and reaching, I press. The Greek word for press is the oko, and it means I run harder after, and I pursue with all I have and with singleness of mind. Now, that was a simple illustration. But here's the reality. To put this in practice, you are going to have to put everything that, is, that has already happened up until this moment. Did I say everything? I think I meant everything. I think I said everything. Now, to be sure, the promises of God are yes and amen. If God gave you a promise there, you just received it there. He gave you the promise before time was, and the promise will remain after time is over. Because God speaks from the heavenly realm. It is up to you to allow those old things to be buried and to reach into your next and to pull what he has promised you into your now. That's what Jesus would pray. I've said this a hundred times, maybe more. He said, pray this way, boys. This was not a prayer to repeat before a basketball game. It, I, would, I would venture that probably 99% of basketball players don't have a clue that when he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, he meant what he said. Thy kingdom come. Come. Come to where I am. Come into my ever-present now. What is the kingdom? The royalty, the rule, the realm and the reign of God. Look it up in your concordance. Look up your strong concordance. Look up the word kingdom. It means the royalty. So that means in my life, I want his royalty. 
In my life, I want his rule. In, his li- in my life, I want his reign. And his life, I want the realm of God to be where my reality is. Right? You pull that into your now. Well, here's the thing. In the kingdom of God where all things are done, in the kingdom of heaven where there is no sickness, sin, death, hell, or curse, if you pull that reality into your now, that means right now you can walk in a place with no sickness, no disease, no sin, no hell, no curse. That's the whole point of kingdom manifestation. It's not to get saved, to get scared to death one Sunday because you might crash your car after church, to repeat a magical phrase and know you're going to be fine. You don't have to go to that crazy inferno if you happen to die. Jesus would have wasted a whole lot of time, three and a half years or so, if that's what he came to preach. He did not come to preach, hey, man, if you don't hurry up and repeat this magical prayer, there's nothing I can do for you. You're going to burn forever. That's not gospel. It's funny to those of us that know, but, it, but that, that, that is by and large what people in Western society have called evangelism, but that's not evangelism. That's a scare tactic, and if you have to scare someone to get them into the kingdom, you're going to have to scare them to keep them in. That's Tony Bunton. That's what he said. You might, if you don't like that I said it, go take it up with my father. If you've got to scare them to get them in, you're going to have to scare them to keep them in. And that's why every Sunday and every Wednesday and every other time you're going to hear, Oh, God, if you just, seen, if you just saw that car wrapped around the tree, it could have been me. It could have been you. Okay, I got you. I got you. It's, uh, the focus is completely and utterly afterlife. And that's wonderful. I mean, I hope to God that all of you get the biggest house that has ever existed. And I hope you get your own planet. And I hope there are rings around your house. And I hope you're awakened with ego waffles and angels singing over you and bringing you fresh fruit for your waffles. I hope all of you get, but I'm not worried so much about making heaven my home until I first make home, my home like heaven. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Lord, how does it happen? Well, what you're going to have to do first is you can't, you can't hold on to the kingdom that was and walk into the kingdom that's calling you. You're not going to have bitter water and fresh water coming out of the same fountain. You're not going to hold yourself to the past and hold yourself to the future. You've cru- crucified yourself to nothingness, staleness. And anybody knows stale, non-moving water after long becomes stink and has no life in it. You mean I'm actually going to have to do something? Yep. Yep. Here's what you need to do. Just wrap it up. All right. All my failures, all my successes, everything that I thought life was going to be, every, maybe the, the, the fulfillment of every dream, at least the way that I thought it would come, give it a proper burial. And completely and utterly turn your focus on the high calling. Which means the calling of high calling. High calling. He's calling you into a higher dimension, a higher understanding, a higher realm. I press. It's like, a, it's like the picture of a relay race. Did you know that? It, that's really what it is. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching, reaching what I, I press towards the upward call of God in Christ. I'm going for the reward. In fact, there's another scripture, Michael, that this same writer talks about in the New Testament. He says, here's the cool thing about it. All those that have come before you, they've passed you the baton now. Guess what they're doing? They're not up celebrating in their mansion and they're feeding a crystal clear river with their behinds on golden streets fishing for silver fish with coins in their mouths. No, they're all about us. We are encompassed round about with such a great cloud of witnesses. Did you know that's the scripture? 
Did you know that scripture encompass means amphitheatered, roundabout? That means we are surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses. Think about this. Surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses. They were in the cloud when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the top of a mountain that we call transfiguration. And he was going to be transfigured before them. And there's a cloud. Remember, they see a cloud. Out of the cloud comes Elijah and Moses. Did they just appear somehow out of the cloud? No, they're a part of the cloud. They're a part of the family. When Jesus was received up into the clouds and when he told Pilate, you'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, you're the clouds. Can I just make it plain for you? Do a little word study. Have you studied this? I mean, it's, we're not talking about cumulus, cirrus, stratus. What are the other clouds? I don't know. I learned one. Nimbus. Yes. Josh be nimbus. Josh be quick. <laughs> no. The cloud is the family. The heavenly reality that is all around us now. And what they're doing is they're saying, come on, Michael. You got it. You got it. You can run. You can go further. I know it hurts like I know it hurts like hell, but leave hell in the past because there's heaven awaiting for you. I know that it's tearing your heart out, but that's okay. I know the mender and the restorer of hearts. I know that it's painful, but that's okay if I don't take out the rotting pieces of your heart and the rotting pieces of your soul. If I put something new in, the rot will cause the new... I mean, he, God is a good God. He's not going to put new wine into old wineskins. That doesn't mean an old wineskin is disqualified. It means Jesus first is going to have to make the old wineskin new so that it can receive new wine. Forgetting and reaching. Forgetting and reaching. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching unto that which is just ahead. I press. I press when it hurts like hell. And I, I press when everybody says it ain't going to work. And I press when every promise looks like it's been broken. And I press when I can hardly believe the word of God, but I still hear his calling. And I press when my body don't feel like it. And I press when my bank account doesn't, doesn't cooperate. And I press when my wife has turned against me. And I press when my husband has turned against me. I press. I refuse to turn back to what was. Because if I press on to the next of God, what will happen is when I get to that place of maturity and perfection, I'm going to look back and say, oh, it's so much better over here come on you can do it then you become a part of the great cloud that says come on you can do it because I know it because I've seen it what do you think Jesus was but the patterned son to show you what the possibility was I love that Bill Johnson says it this way Jesus did everything that he did not as God even though yes he is God but he did it as a son in right relationship with his father which is to say he showed us a pattern He said, a friend of mine shared this past week. I saw it on Facebook, and I said, I'm going to use that. It's, Jesus told his disciples that he said, these works and greater shall you do. And you know what she said? You'll never do the greater if you can't do the same. These works and greater shall you. You'll never do the greater. Until, well, what's the same? Love the poor. Bind up the brokenhearted. If you see a broken man on the street, you pour in wine and oil. You know, be a conduit by which the Father pours the reality of the heavenly realm into the earthly realm. Is anybody listening? Be willing to challenge the status quo. You think Jesus didn't challenge the status quo? He would literally read their scripture and say, but I say. And literally contradict what was just said. You've heard it said by them of old time. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
Well, there's a whole lot of eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth garbage going on in the United States right now. By God, if they come to my house and start that stuff, I got, I got my nine on me, by God. I'm going to take them out, you know, by God. We're going to start a revolution, by God. You, you won't come through my door. I'll blow your brains out. I mean, it does sound just like Jesus, doesn't it? Oh, God, I just stepped on about 17 and a half toes. Keep your guns. I don't care. Keep your guns. Sell your guns. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I'm fine if you got guns. I, I don't have a problem with it. But the Jesus way, the Jesus way is not that way. You can like it. You can lump it. You can hate it. I don't care. It's the truth. That's not the Jesus way. But God, if they, no. Do I, do I think you should protect yourself? Of course, protect yourself, protect your family. But I'm going to tell you something. If they can get past the guard of angels that's at my house, then there ain't a whole lot my gun's going to do. I was in Africa, in Uganda, in 2005. And this uh, person, I won't call him a man. I really don't think that he deserves that title. But this person was at my house, and he was working on our pool. We had some damage to our pool. Anyways, my wife was pregnant with uh, Isaac. She was supposed to go on the trip, couldn't go because she couldn't get the yellow fever vaccination because it would have killed Isaac. And we kind of like him, so we decided we'd keep him. I don't know. After the grocery bill, we have second thoughts, but she couldn't. So uh, this guy, um, he, I, I paid him before I left. It was maybe, I don't remember, $35,000, $4,000, whatever. Well, he wanted more money after, after it was gone, even though we'd already paid him. And I said, well, you're not giving him money. He kind of got smart with the lism. And I told the Lord this. I said, here's the deal. If I'm going to be about your business, I expect that you're going to be about my business. Now, I can stay home and protect my wife, and you can send somebody else, or you can send me, and you can stay home and protect my wife. But we're going to have to have an agreement real quick. I can't believe. Well, that's all right. That's fine. You don't have to believe it. Josh, you're out of your mind. No, I'm out of your mind. I'm perfectly fine in my mind. In 2011, I went to Ghana, and in Ghana, I found out that someone had some pictures of my daughter, Abby. She didn't know, and I found out this person was doing things with those pictures in the realm of witchcraft, and I said, Lord, we already had this agreement. Now, if that person even thinks about touching my daughter, if he don't fall dead, you're going to find somebody else to preach in Africa for you. I'm not laughing. I was serious, as I, and I'm serious as I am today. You can deal with him on the other side of eternity. That's, it's your deal. Don't matter to me. God bless you. God love you. But if they touch my little girl and he don't die dead, then you were more faithful to uh, Moses than you're going to be to me. We can't have that. Was it Sarah? I mean, was it uh, Abraham? It was Abraham. Remember? You remember this, Abraham? Some, this king sees Sarah. She's like, woo, Sarah. Was it, is it, was it Sarah? Oh, she's, that girl is smoking hot. Fine. Fine, I'm going to have her tonight. And as a king, he thought it was his right. And that night, an angel came to that man and said, you're a dead man tonight. Well, what do I do? Dummy, you tried to put your hands on my servant's wife. I said, Lord, if you can be that faithful in the Old Testament, we better get that faithful in the New Testament. The point of me making it is, if, they can't, if the angels and God can't protect you, I don't think your gun and your arsenal and what all, all the stuff you've got is going to do a whole, whole lot of job. And if they do, you're going to be in a whole lot of trouble and have a bloody mess. Why don't we let God sort it out? Why don't we let God, God sort it out? Jesus said on the cross, don't you? He said this, look, if I wanted to, I could call 12 legions, 72,000 angels right now at my disposal, if, if, that, if that's what I want to do. He also would say at one time, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my soldiers fight? But again, my kingdom is not of this world. And we're ready to take up arms against our brothers and sisters because they have a different political persuasion and call ourselves Christ-like. Did you know Jesus didn't walk Jerusalem roads draped in the American flag?
I'm for America. Please don't get mad and leave. I mean, don't, don't get, I'm for, I love this country. I've been outside the country, and there's nothing better than landing back in the United States when you've been overseas. It is beautiful and welcoming, and it's, it's the most wonderful thing ever. Not just because of the people, but there, there is an essence to the United States. And I'm not against it, but I'm just trying to make it clear. The kingdom of God is not within the United States of America. The kingdom of God is. But Jesus wasn't draped in the United States flag. And he wasn't preaching the Constitution of the United States or the Declaration of Independence. Here was his Constitution. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they should be filled. Boy, it got real tight. I mean, just quiet. Boy, it's almost like, it's like God's here, but, you know, the United States is like right there. God's here. No, like, right, like, right there, like right there. I'm not attacking the U.S. In case anybody goes out and says, man, you ain't going to believe what he said. He attacked. No, I'm not. I'm not. What I'm telling you is there's a kingdom established first that was before and will be after the United States. And the Jesus way is to love them. I mean, Peter is like, don't, don't, don't think I'm casting stones. When they came to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to get him and Judas is going to betray him, Peter does what most of us would do because he had, he, with his understanding, he was doing the right thing. He takes up his sword and he goes over to Malchus, the, 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 the servant, and chops off his ear. Now, that's, that's what most of us do. Like, Jesus, hey, man, I got you. Don't even sweat this. Pop! And it amazes me how many preachers fill the pulpit every single Sunday, and they've cut off the hearing to their congregation because they think they're doing God a service. And Jesus is like, put away your sword, Peter. Everyone that takes up the sword will die with the sword. And then Jesus goes, picks up the ear of the man who's about to take him to be crucified, picks it up off the ground, and puts it back on his head. Because that's what he is. This is radical love. This is radical change. This is what it's going to take to illuminate the darkness. This is actually lighting up the night. This is the light in the tunnel I was talking about. Well, I didn't know it was going to look like this. I thought God was just going to float out of heaven with a dove and land on me and everything was going to be perfect. No. You're going to have to choose to leave those things which are behind. Leave all of them. Leave the failures, the successes, what you thought you knew. The most, hey, I'm gonna, this is good for this church. I'm going to say this and I'm going to get out of here because I know you're tired. I've been up since 3 o'clock, so I don't really feel sorry for you. <laughs> Literally up since 3 o'clock, Elizabeth will tell you. You too. I don't know. We, we just get up at 3. I don't know what it is. Happy birthday, whoever's in children's church. Oh, Bella. Happy birthday to <laughs> Eli, Eli, forgetting and reaching, forgetting and reaching, forgetting and reaching. It's one thing, it's one thing, forgetting and reaching, forgetting and reaching. Okay, Lord, this is what I did. This is what I was getting to. This was probably 20 years ago now, not 20, 21 years ago now. The Lord began to reveal things to me that challenged my theology, challenged my understanding, uh, challenged everything that I had ever been taught. And buddy, let me tell you something. When you grow up in church and your daddy is the man and one of his best friends is the man that's been around the world and another best friend of his is the man and you've been around the world with him and another man and, you've, and you've, you mean, you've seen this stuff. I mean, you've seen like blind eyes open. You've seen people walk and you've seen uh, that were lame and you've seen people uh, restored to, to health and to life and families restored. When you see that stuff and then your theology gets challenged, the first thing you want to do is put up a big wall and say, whoa, this is not comfortable. 
it's like what a lot of you have done to me this morning. I'm completely and utterly comfortable in your uncomfortability. Because the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter, is who I'm clothed in. And here's what I said. I said to the Lord, in weeping at my desk, Catawba Valley Mortgage, uh, mortgage broker, I said to the Lord, Lord, here's what I do. And I started weeping. I said, I will put down everything that I think I know. And I will forget everything that I think I know if you'll teach me. I literally said this to him. If you'll teach me. I assumed that, I, like, I mean, nobody else in here has this problem. But the problem that I had was I assumed I knew everything. I know y'all don't have that problem. So just, you, you probably can't even relate to the story. I mean, none of y'all think that. But I thought I knew everything. And I come to find out I didn't really know a whole lot. And the things that I did know, here's, and this was a question that was posed to me by him that I posed to other people. Why do you believe what you believe? I'm not talking about apologetics. You don't need to give a defense for your faith. You don't need to defend, the, the faith will defend itself. You're good. You need, you need to have counsel and you need to have knowledge. You need to know to say, what, what things need to be said to bring people into understanding. But you don't need to defend the faith. God, he's perfectly fine defending himself. In fact, he, did, he would rather you not defend him. He would rather you just love people like he does. But anyways, I said this. Why do you believe what you believe? This is what he said to me. Is it because you've done an exhaustive study? That's the first qualifier. An exhaustive study. I don't mean you jumped on the, you p- pushed the Google button on the internet machine. An exhaustive study. And two, has the Holy Spirit shined a light on this topic and made it real to you? Illuminated your spirit with this wisdom? Those are the two... Put it this way. That's the spirit and the word. That's the two witnesses. That's talked about in Revelation 11. Spirit and the word. There's always two witnesses that will give, that'll give uh, approval, that will give authority, and that will give uh, 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 basically an amen and a yes to what God says. And I said, Lord, no, I've not done that. Well, then you might want to think about doing that. So that's what I did. I delved deep. And I did. I, it, this was just in my understanding. So I, I chose to leave what I thought I knew there. And depressed for this, boy, it challenged everything that I thought I knew. But I, I started walking with him. Like a little boy. I started walking with him. He started talking to me. And I studied. And I prayed. And I listened. And I meditated. And I studied and I prayed. And I listened and I meditated. And I studied and I prayed. And, I, and a lot of the stuff that you hear today is stuff that I was taught 20 years ago. But not at Bible college. And that's good. I hope you get the chance to go there. No, not at Bible college. This was at the University of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, who is my teacher. That's what he's called. That's who he is. And he will teach you. A lot of the things that I said, especially in the last 20 minutes, you have, I mean, everybody was with me until about 20 minutes ago. Probably the first time I brought up the United States. And it was never supposed to be, and it's not an attack against the United States. I want to be very clear. I love this country. But before and after this country, it's the kingdom. My allegiance I pledge to Jesus Christ and to his kingdom. I'm just not ever going to come back. Well, God bless you. I mean, I, well, you do. When Kelly Varner say one time, you're helpless as a pastor in the Feast of, the feast of uh, Tabernacles because you have to share what God gives you, and it's mostly not comfortable. And a lot of times it's not what you've heard, and it certainly is what you expect. But the Holy Spirit, go ahead, Eli. He will put into your mind and illuminate what you've studied, what you've prayed about, what you've thought, what you've meditated on. And here's what I did. I come to this place. Forgetting those things which are behind. And pressing unto that which lies ahead. Hey, sound guy, can we get some Isaacs up there? Some stuff on the keyboard. 
And looking unto that which lies ahead, I press. Forgetting my successes and my failures. And looking unto that which lies ahead. You can't have both. It's your decision. Here's another biblical passage for you. I set before you this day death and life. Cursing and blessing. Over here is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And over here is the tree of life. And if you eat of that tree, you will eat and you will never die. This is what was and what you thought could be. Over here is, is a heavenly reality. Over here is the kingdom of darkness where you grope along and you don't see things. Over here is the kingdom of light where the light of God bursts forth through you and you illuminate everything around you. Choose. I'll say it like the Lord. Choose you this day. Not just who you will serve, but which way you're going to serve. You're either going to serve what was and what you thought was good and serve these things or you're going to forget that stuff. It's a, it's, a, it's a focused forgetting. I choose to not bring it up. I will give it a proper burial. I will not bring it up in my mind again. It won't come up in my conversation again. If somebody brings it up, I'll say, that's nothing that I want to talk about. I'm going to focus my mind completely and utterly on the glory of God that lies just ahead. And it's in doing that that I press for the mark for the prize. of the. It's really the finish line of this life. When I get there, I'm going to turn around and say, hey. I was in, uh, I'll share this last story. I was in India in uh, 1998 for my first time. I stayed over there for about eight, seven and a half, eight weeks. And uh, the first two weeks, there, were, there was a group from Australia that came with us. And a lot of them had gone home because the first week we were there, we saw one of those triple-decker buses. I don't know if you've ever seen those. Well, we were in downtown Hyderabad, India. And that bus had run over a woman in the street and split her body in half, but she wasn't dead yet. And we wanted to go help the woman. She's bleeding all over the street. She's crying out. And, I, and they refused to let us help her because they said, you're desecrate her body. This is what the gods wanted for her. So, so many of, especially the, the female that had come from Australia, went back home. They just, they couldn't stomach it anymore. It, they, they cut their trip short. Two ladies, Kathy Winston, my sister from uh, Southern Pines and Stacy uh, Knowles um, I don't remember she's from up in New Jersey uh, she, her husband have a church now were there for two weeks then they went home so now it's just me and this ruggedy, rugged old 62 year old prophet named Charles Johnson and, we're, and he says uh, and up to this time we're in this big nice compound I say nice, relatively nice compared to where we're going because we're getting ready to go out into the bush where you're literally staying in concrete huts or tents or caves or whatever but uh, he says hey Josh pull your bed in here you're staying with me now and it scared me to death and so I said okay so uh, probably the first or second night we're in there I'm just like you know the first two weeks this is cool I'd never been on a plane now I've seen India you know I've been through Germany blah, yada yada I've seen all the stuff now this is cool what the heck am I doing here and he says to me in that moment he says I know you're sitting over there wondering what you're doing here I was like whoa and he said, do you want to know what the highest privilege of my life is? And he said, I know what you think it is. And I said, what do I think it is? <laughs> I'm 20. I'm ignorant. I know nothing. Literally, absolutely. I thought I knew everything until I, until I realized I really didn't know anything. And he says, uh, you think that the ultimate thing in God is to press in beyond the veil and see his face 
and love him and be there in his presence. I said, yes. And he said, when you grow up, you're going to learn that that's not the ultimate thing. And I said, what? It's not? He said, no. He said, the mark of maturity is having been back there to choose to come back out from there and grab somebody else and say, I got to take you somewhere you're not going to believe and bring them in there with you. That's the mark of a spiritual father. That's the mark of maturity. I know that on a weekly basis I challenge you. I get that. I know that on a weekly basis some things I say to you are uncomfortable. But far be it from me and never let it be said of me that I've experienced and tasted of the world to come and refuse to bring that bread out and serve it to you because that's what a priest does. It's my job. It's my job. My job is not to prepare a 45-minute monologue to make you feel good. I, I, I don't mean that to be ugly. Please hear my heart in this. That's not my job. My job is not to come out and say everything that I know you're going to say amen to so that I can feel good. Oh, they accepted me. Let me tell you something. I do not have an identity crisis, and I don't have an inferiority complex, and I am not insecure in who I am in Christ. I don't need your amen for me to be okay. A lot of preachers do, and I used to. But what I do need is for you to bear with me as I go in beyond that place and grab that loaf, or grab that bread and bring it out and say, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good. He's better than you think He is. He's better than you've given Him credit before. Credit for. How do I taste? Forget. Forget those things which are behind. Look under that which lies ahead. The beauty and the splendor and the glory of His face. The Bible says that the, the glory of God is found in the face of Jesus Christ. I'll give you this little free part if you want this. Do you want it? This is a free part. Do you, do you really want this? Here's a free part. We're going to just put a pin on where we just were. I want to tell you this. So, do you remember when in the Old Testament God said, uh, Moses said to God, he prayed and he cried out to him, show me your glory. Now, this is the same Moses that stood before the burning bush and God spoke to him out of the bush. He spoke to him out of the cloud. He was a cloud by day and a fire by night. This Moses that would st stretch his rod out over the sea and the sea would part and the children of Israel would walk across and he would get to the other side and the Lord said, turn around and look. And Moses turned around and look. And the walls of the sea began to crash down upon the Egyptians. The Lord would speak out of heaven and say, and say, this enemy that you see now before you, you will see again no more forever. This same Moses that would cast his rod down onto the Pharaoh's court floors and, and then his magicians would do the same and, and there would be one serpent that Moses' staff had become and two serpents that the, that the sorcerer's staff had become but the one that Moses threw down would swallow up the other two snakes and then he would pick it back up in his hand signifying Jesus. I mean, I could go. It was this same Moses that would say to the Lord one day, Lord, show me your glory. And Moses would say, I mean, God would say, here's what I'm going to do for you, Moses. I'm going to take you, and I'm going, to, I'm going to hide you in the cleft in the rock. And I'm going to make my goodness to pass before you, all my goodness. Listen, Moses did not ask to see God's goodness. He asked to see his glory. I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. And so, Mo, and so the Bible says that, God, that, that, that Moses is put in the cleft in the rock, and he sees the King James Version says the hinder parts of God. 
the, the hinder parts of God. Well, what's the hinder parts? Was it his leg? Was it his, you know, his bottom? The hinder parts of God. Have you ever wondered how a man that lived maybe thousands of years later after the beginning was able to write about creation? Moses is the author of Genesis and Exodus. And Moses is the author of that. How was Moses able to write about stuff and, the, and all the stuff that he was not a part of? Because he saw the hinder parts of God. There you go, that's free. Here's another free part. It would be in the New Testament when Jesus is up on this Mount of Transfiguration that I taught you about, that something had haunted him now for 2,000 years, 1,500 years probably to be more exact. And it was a, it was a request that the, the mediator of the Old Covenant had made, show me your glory. And since the glory of God is found in the face of Jesus Christ, he says, i tell you what I'm going to do. You begged me to see my glory, but you saw my goodness. But now that my son is manifested, I'm going to take you up on the mountain and I'm going to show you the face of Jesus Christ. He honored his word. He gave, my God. He got to see the glory of God. Moses finally, it took him 1,500 years, and it took him dying. And God buried him. Did you know that God buried Moses? Here's the, here's the story about Moses. God and Moses go for a walk. God comes back. Moses is dead. Who do you think killed him? And God buried Moses. The Bible says that. You might want to go read your Bible. It says that. But, he, but anyways, on the Mount of Transfiguration, that was your free part. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the, there was Moses and there was Elijah. And Jesus stood and then the cloud overshadowed those two. Because the Bible says the glory of God is found in the face of Jesus Christ. He let Moses finally see his glory. Back to what I was talking about a minute ago. Having gone in beyond the veil. Having tasted of his goodness. Having smelled the fragrance of his presence. What is that? Bear with me. I'll teach you. You can get there. You can literally smell his fragrance. Literally. Not like, oh, is that what that was? No, you'll know. Believe me, you'll know. Josephus said he smelled like jasmine when he walked the earth. Josephus, the Jewish historian. This is what he looks like. This is what he tastes like. This is what he smells like. And I want you to experience that for yourself. But to get here, you're going to have to let go of all this. This is a journey, bud. This is a long journey, and it ain't going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. Remember that old C.C. Winding song, It Wasn't Easy, but Holly used to sing it. It wasn't easy, but it was worth it. It wasn't easy, but it was, yeah, it's not going to be easy. It'll challenge everything that you think you know, but I would rather exchange everything that I think I know so that I can become one with the one who knows everything. When the ancient of days gets down inside of you, you'll have wisdom that you didn't, that you didn't learn. you telling us this because I'm trying to, I'm trying to convince you there's that, that we're nine months into this year and the focus has been on the fires and the hurricanes and the and the earthquakes and the bombs and the and the racial uh, stuff and and all that stuff is real but it's it, it, it pales in comparison to the reality of the kingdom that is his kingdom that has been established in the earth and the, the but the reason that you're not seeing it is because you're not looking at it you're looking at this but you're gonna have to forget that and let go of that let go of, of, the, of the strife and let go of, of, of watching and partaking of and, 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 and promoting that stuff. And look unto the kingdom which is coming and is. 
You can be the conduit in your own. When Jesus said go, go into all the world, maybe he didn't mean you need to go to Africa. Maybe your world is the appraisal world. Or maybe your world is in accounting. Or maybe your world is in, is in doing hair. Maybe whatever your world is. Or maybe your world used to be Amesbury. Or maybe your world was a school system. Go into all the world and preach what? The gospel. The good news. Here's the good news. God ain't mad. He ain't ticked. He's not, he, he's not coming with a vengeance. Not against you. He's coming with a vengeance against his enemies. And you're not his enemy. You know what his enemy is? His enemy is the accuser. It's the voice of the accuser that tells you you're less than what you really are. You don't talk about wrath of God. Wrath of God is going to come for the false identity, not who you really are. Wrath of God comes and destroys sin, not children. I know I belabored the point. But as I said before, sorry, not sorry. I would be here at 3 o'clock if I knew that my words would cause one of you to say, okay, it's a big step. I don't have no magical prayer for you to repeat. I don't have no magical phrase for you to repeat and all is good. It doesn't happen that way. That's not the way that it happens. I have an invitation. Because the Spirit and the Bride say, come. And it's, it's not come to church. It's not come to church membership. It ain't become a part of the club. It's beca- become an ambassador of a new kingdom. Become a citizen of the heavenly realm. Become a citizen. Become a son and a daughter. And, and, and manifest the self-same glory that Jesus Christ manifested when he walked the earth. That's your calling. That is your destiny. And that is what you can hear if you'll listen closely today. What he's saying to you. You can walk with me. And you can talk with me. And we'll work together. And we'll create together. And I'll tell you secrets that there's no way you could have figured out. And I'll give you strategy. And I'll give you idea. And I'll tell you not just what to do, but how to implement what you did. If you'll just walk with me and learn. In fact, he were to say, walk with me and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for my burden is easy my yoke is easy and my burden is light my burden is revelation light I want you to walk into your work tomorrow with a fresh fire man there's something burning in me I'm here to change this place I'm here to actually be the light that doesn't mean quote a scripture and say, you heathen, get right. It means be the light. It means be, did you know that darkness is actually not a thing? Listen to me. I'm, I'm finishing. I know where I'm going. It, it's the absence of a thing. Darkness is not a tangible thing. It's not. It's the absence of light. But the smallest light will overcome the greatest darkness. You take this room and close all the windows and the doors and let it be as dark as possible. You light a lighter in the middle of the room and you will have enough light to see. It will overcome this entire building. What would happen if your light was lit in the appraisal world and your light was lit in the accounting world and your light was lit within the school and your light was lit in your construction and your light was lit as a nurse or whatever it is that you do? What, what if there were lights? All, what, if we, what if there were, as Charles Johnson said, just a few days at our church before he died, a billion, billion glowing lights all over the the world then what would happen is then this then the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ revelation oh you mean God ain't come to, to destroy the world we don't have time to get into that but you might want to go look at stuff that's already happened what he wants to do is create a new heaven a new earth in you let's, let's, let's stand I, I really could go on two more hours and I know you I could talk longer than you could sit and listen Here's a challenge. 
this is what can be, but you ain't going to have this, you can let it go. I got you. And you ain't going to have that at the same time. If, you're, if you do, you're as good as crucified. Remember when I told you, this is the last thing I'll say. Remember when I told you that uh, Jesus, when he was crucified, it only took him a few hours to die, which was very uncommon. Most of the time what would happen is these men would, would suffer and suffer and suffer. And uh, they would, asphyxiation is essentially how they would die. They would, they would, they would suffocate. Because what they'd have to do is, is push up to get a breath. And so they would do that for hours and hours and hours and hours. And they're bleeding out and all the other stuff happens. And what would happen is the Romans would come and they would take a club and they would strike them just beneath the knee and break their leg bones so they couldn't push up anymore. And so they just laid there and they would suffocate. Did you know that? And so they go, uh, they, and, but there was, a, there was a prophecy that said not one of his bones would be broken. So we knew that couldn't happen to Jesus. And so he died a lot sooner than they thought. And so they went and begged the body of Jesus. They're like, wait a minute, his body? He's, it's only been like three hours. You sure, are you sure he's dead? Man, he's dead. I'll tell you what, go check and see. As long as he's dead, you can have the body. There's revelation in that. Because the enemy will give you the body of Christ all day long as long as his hands can't move. They'll let you have a church whose feet don't move and who can't speak and who can't see and who can't touch creation. In fact, I would dare to say that's exactly what most of the church in America has been duped to do. They're wonderful and they're great, except they're not touching anybody and they're not moving with their feet to anybody. They're certainly not speaking. And so, yes, the enemy says you can have that church all day. Yes, you can have the body of Christ as long as they don't move. What would happen if there was a mobile kingdom if the church was not the meeting that happens in the four walls of a church on Sunday but if the church was a mobile community of believers that carried the glory and the DNA of their father everywhere they went that came together on Sundays not to get refilled but to share the wonderful works of God that happened throughout the week that's what church was supposed to have been in the beginning if you go back and read the account of Acts, when they gathered together in their homes, they did not wait for Paul or whoever to get up and give a, an hour monologue and say, that's good, Paul. That's real good. Amen. I took that down in my notes. No, they came and gave an account of the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives and where they were. And they broke bread together. Speaking of which, daddy got to eat. I'm not going to Logan's, though. I ain't going back there. It made me so mad. I called and canceled my order. I did. I couldn't do it. I'm sorry. Could not do it. I'm not wearing a mask to get to my table to take the mask off and eat. That's just the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life. But you do you. I'll do takeout until, I guess until November 4th. Are you willing to let go of everything that you thought would be and was? Do I look embarrassed, church? <laughs> Tony about the special food. God, when you get up, I'm like, God, man, that's so gross. Can you please not do that? That's what Elizabeth's thinking right now. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have discernment, I know. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, to the best of my ability, the best of my belief, I have given what you gave me to give I've done my best to serve fresh bread you know the time and the cost that I've spent with you for this bread and I pray that it's not thrown out and treated as worthless but I know that if they'll partake of this 
It'll go inside their bellies and it will bring new life. It will bring satisfaction. You said those that are hungry will be filled. And I know there were some hungry souls in here this morning and I pray that their souls are filled. Give us the boldness to do the one thing. Help us hear the calling, the true great commission of doing the one thing, forgetting and reaching. Forgetting failures, reaching for the success in your kingdom. Forgetting the past and reaching for what you have for us ahead. Forgetting an old understanding and an old kingdom and reaching for the new kingdom. Forgetting an old way of thinking and reaching for the mind of Jesus Christ. Help us to have the courage and the boldness as prophets, priests, and kings, a royal priesthood, to be willing to come into your presence and receive of that bread and having received it, take out and deal our bread to the hungry. You said, is not this the fast that I have ordained? To deal your bread to the hungry. Lord, to the best of my ability, I've done that this morning. And I pray that that bread's not thrown out. You'll bring life to all who partake. Pray a blessing upon your people, Lord. That your glory would go before them. Goodness and mercy follows back behind them. And they would walk in your presence from this day forward and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.